section of the letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, we're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. We see Paul and the church looking at issues around how Christians are to live in the midst of a diverse world. And today we join Paul as he explains why it seems that he behaves differently in different groups of people. So it's an excellent question, and we're going to take this time to, to hear Paul talk about what he's doing, why he's doing it, and how he's thinking about living a life of faith and service. So I invite you to find a Bible. If you're with us in-house and you need to borrow one, you'll find it in the tiny book rack in front of you. If you're joining us online, feel free to jump up and grab a Bible. You can also access the text uh, in the Bible app. It is also available on the screen, but if you can, I'd love to have you look it up. And the reason we always invite you to look it up is, one, it's, it's good practice, right? It's hard to find things in the Bible. There's a lot of different books in there. There's also a table of contents. That's my hint for you today. But it's hard to find things sometimes, so it's great practice to look it up. Gives you an opportunity to take notes if you want. And as I move through the teaching, it gives you an opportunity to look back. So flip or scroll to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's the big number, verse 19, that's the little number, and follow along as I read aloud. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you catch Paul's reasoning, right? He's trying to explain why it seems that he acts differently in different groups of people. It is the same thing the Church of Corinth has wanted to do. They want to know why it's not okay. They could just, you know, act like their church friends when they're at church, and they could act like their other friends when they're not. They're friends who worship other gods. 
How come that's not okay? Especially when it seems like Paul does something similar. If Paul can do it, why can't we? That's a good question. And Paul takes it seriously. Paul makes his actions different for different people. And the reason he does this is because motivation matters. The liberties that he takes are not for his personal indulgence, but for the sake of sharing the gospel. When he's with his Jewish community, those under the law, he honors their customs so that he might have an opportunity to share the gospel with them without offending them. When he is with non-Jews, also called Gentiles, those outside the law code of Israel, he observes their customs where he can so that he might have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And to the weak, we've heard about the weak in previous parts of this letter, those in the church and in the community that struggle sometimes with their faith. I think we can agree that in different areas of our life, we might all fall into that category on occasion. Paul says, to the weak, I will become like the weak. Paul's intent is to come alongside, to not present himself as some perfect Christian, but to be authentic and genuine to the community he seeks to reach. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in the gospel's blessings. Paul will do anything, whatever he can, to communicate God's promise of new life as clearly as possible to the people that he's with. Well, Paul will do almost anything. We saw that last week, as we were studying, that this came up also. There are areas in life where, as Christians, we have a lot of freedom in our actions. Our actions should always be wrapped in love, and we should take into account how our actions might be perceived and affect others. But then, there are other areas. Areas of life that are out of bounds. So, for example... Paul might eat kosher with his Jewish friends and feel perfectly free to eat a wonderful barbecue pulled pork sandwich, wonder what I'm having for lunch, with his non-Jewish friends. But it is not okay to go thieving with his robber friends. Do you see the distinction, right? You see the difference. It's about motivations, all things to all people, that by all means I might save some all for the sake of the gospel. So it's not that bank robbers don't need Jesus. They totally need Jesus, just like you and me. But theft is incompatible with a Christian life. And being an accomplice to a robbery is not a great opening salvo as you try to share with them about Jesus. You might be able to launch a stellar prison ministry as you are booked as an accomplice, though. But there might be better ways to go about that. Does the distinction make sense? For Paul, it's a question of motivation. In all that we do, we want to honor God and to serve our neighbor by sharing the gospel with them. 
That's why he does what he does. And this serves as a model for us today, just as it did for the church in Corinth. Now, if this is the model, what tools will we need to get there? What habits or disciplines or perspectives will help us live our lives for the sake of the gospel? Paul's answer is simple. We just live our lives like elite athletes. Of course. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That sounds awesome. Any of you elite athletes? Anybody? No? Elite musicians? Any musicians? No? For us, this might not be the perfect example, but for the church in Corinth, this was super helpful. Every two years, just at the outskirts of the city of Corinth, they held a huge competition, second only to the Olympics. Every two years, athletes and musicians would gather and compete. They were the Isthmian Games. Yeah, try to say that. They would get together. And so it could have been that people in the Church of Corinth, not only would they have been familiar with the Games, they may have known some elite athletes. They might have competed themselves. And if you were planning to compete the whole year before and likely most of your life, you were preparing for this competition. This was serious stuff, and it, effect for, it affected for the athlete every aspect of their lives. Now, I am not an elite athlete, but I know a couple marathon runners. Do you know anybody who runs marathons or who has run a marathon? Yeah. Later, if you have run a marathon, you can pull me aside and tell me about it. If I ever were to run a marathon, it would be the first thing out of my mouth for the rest of my life. Are you to willingly run while not being chased by wild beasts? I don't understand the need for this. But I have a friend. A woman I used to know, her name is Christy. So when I think of elite athletes, I think of Christy. She ran marathons. She did not run a marathon. Many of us know people who've done that. A huge accomplishment. She runs marathons. Repeatedly, regularly, like it's perfectly normal. Here's my favorite part, her husband runs ultra marathons, these 100-mile events. I don't, if I have to drive in my car, which apparently has a heated seat, it's very fancy, if I have to drive in my car 100 miles, I'm like, I don't know. What are we doing when we get there? He runs 100 miles. This is not, I do not understand this. But this example of Paul reminds me of, of Christy. I didn't really know. We knew each other at church. I didn't know that she was a marathoner until we became friends on Facebook. And then, I, I mean, I would notice that occasionally she was missing on a Sunday or that I missed her. That happens sometimes, right? You know, you're all in the building, but you, you don't run into each other. Noticed before that she was up and coherent 
at like 5.30 in the morning. She would send emails at these crazy early hours. Like, she would sound coherent and human, like she was awake. I do not understand how that could be. Yeah, it's not how my world is. She was mindful about what she ate. She's super frugal. But running was just a part of who she was. It was like in her DNA. And when she and I would get together, we'd talk about life and kids and church things. She'd talk about running and I'd talk about knitting. We'd share our lives together. And when she was with her running friends, some of whom went to church and some of whom did not, they talked about running and kids and life, and sometimes they talk about church things. Christy's one of those people where when you ask, you know, so what'd you do this weekend? She will say, like, oh, I went to church. And I, 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 the pastor reminded us that, you know, no matter what, we belong to God. It was a really good reminder. What'd you do? It's just who she was. She wasn't trying to manipulate her running friends or be fake with her Christian friends. It was just who she was. And she took into account the people around her. She would accommodate the situation. Quality time with her spouse, they would go running together. Quality time with me, all of our conversations were stationary. It was wonderful. We would meet for coffee. It was great. It was great. She did that out of love and grace towards me because I, just, I, could, I, I couldn't keep up. I could run like, if chased by hyenas, a short distance. And then I would save all of you by occupying the hyena. But um, yeah, so anytime we got together, she accommodated me. We would sit and have coffee, stationary. It was great. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you know a, a musician that is passionate about their instrument. One of those people that, regardless of what the instrument is, when something comes on the radio, if their instrument is in that piece of music, they can hear it. Do you know people like this? My son plays the piano, and pianos are very common, so you can often hear the piano. I have a friend who plays saxophone. It is weird the music that saxophone shows up in in the radio, but they can always hear it. Their ear is tuned to it. My son will organize his whole day around protecting time to practice the piano. He loves to talk about what he's learning, the piece he's working on, the music theory that he's working with his instructor on. He'll gladly talk with you about it, but when life gets really busy, he will shift his whole world so that he protects this time so that he can practice. He's self-disciplined about his piano, but he's also self-disciplined about other things so that he has time to practice. I think the same could be said about a lot of different areas of our life. When we're passionate about something, it colors our whole world. We make time for it. We sacrifice other things so that we have more time and flexibility to pursue that hobby or interest or skill. I think of like 
fans. Football fans, right? That's the brown ball that goes like this, right? Looks like an eyeball, right? I'm not good with the sports. You can probably tell. This is the part of the sermon where Pastor Tom would name an appropriate football team and you would either all be happy or you would all be sad. I don't know how to do that. But it's that same kind of thing, like football fans, right? You are passionate. Sporting fans in general, I have found, like the same excitement that I get about like a new knitting pattern. I know, it's so exciting. I've seen grown men come to tears over a great play, and then they will explain it to me. I do not know what they are talking about, but they are very excited. You've met people like this. You might be like this. And that's okay. I will happily be excited with you. There are lots of areas of passion in our world. Lots of things that we get super excited about. Things that color the rest of our days. And where we might not think that we are being disciplined about other things for the sake of that, you might notice that you will rearrange your schedule to protect time. You might come to an earlier church service or a later one so you can be out playing golf in the morning. Is it too cold for golf yet? Some people are like, no, not too cold for golf. It is the same for Paul. Everything is about proclaiming God's promise of salvation and new life. And as Christians, the church in Corinth, you and I, we are all in a similar position. Just like all of the runners run a race, dedicated and pointing their efforts to get to the finish line, so too as people of God, we are called to dedicate our lives to worshiping God and serving our neighbor. In a race, there's a tangible prize awarded at the end. In our lives of faith, it's like, it's almost like we got the prize at the beginning. It's like we started with this great treasure. And so we don't run in order to receive, but because because of Christ's actions, because that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and brought us into the family. Because of that, our day is shaped and our lives are shaped by that great gift. This way of understanding what God has done in the world and in and is doing in each of us, this gives the church in Corinth a model and a measure as to how they live their lives. Remember, some in the church were struggling with how to live. They, they wanted to know, you know, can we do whatever we want? Because we know we're forgiven. So, so we could just do what we want, Right? Or, or maybe if I just do a whole bunch of really bad stuff, then I will be an example to other people about just how much God can forgive. This is what they were struggling with. I know none of you would ever reason things out that way, and I wouldn't either. But we struggle with, if we are forgiven, if this is already done, then how now shall we live? Paul's advice Check your motivation. Are you motivated by self-indulgent desire to do what you want? 
or by the hope of sharing the gospel. In our weeks of study leading up to this, we've seen the example and guidance contained in 1 Corinthians. We've seen the struggle of the church to live as Christians in a world that is diverse. And we've reflected on Paul's guidance and encouragement, seeking to understand that overarching reality of God's grace and love. And all of this affects every aspect of our day-to-day. And because of that, through our words and actions, other people come to know about Jesus. It's, it's quite honestly amazing that God would use someone like me. It makes sense to me that God would use y'all, but I know myself pretty well. That God would use us to go out into the world and to share the message. That's an interesting plan, but that's the plan. And as exciting as it sounds and as passionate as I am about the reality that God is using us to go out into the world to tell people about Jesus. I am super excited. I'm also a little bit tired. The weeks are long. The burden of the days that we live in is not lost on me. Even little things. Remember seasonal allergies, right? The weather would change, you'd get a sniffly nose, and you'd, you know, carry a box of Kleenex around everywhere you went. What do you also do now? You go get a test, right? All the little things of our everyday are different now, and it makes us weary. One of the things that I've noticed, and I've heard it in conversations over the last few weeks, the fact that we miss people that we are not seeing right now. Am I the only one who misses somebody who I would usually see in person? Who else misses? You can can raise your hand little tiny in front so no one else can see anybody else miss somebody. It's different now. And if you're worshiping with us at home, this is not guilt. There is no pressure. But for all of us, I think I'm not alone. In my heart, I miss people. My heart as a pastor, I watch you miss people. People who you were in small group with that haven't figured out the Zoom thing yet. Did you know you can Zoom into almost any of our small groups? So you don't even have to be here to be here. I'm excited about that. If you're sick on a Sunday, if you have the sniffles, if it's seasonal allergies, you can stay home. We will miss you, but you can like log in and be a part. That's awesome. But we still miss how it used to be. It's different now. And so as Paul gives us this example of a race, and I look around at us, and I realize I'm not the only one a little weary by the world, I recognize that there is a part 
of the training regimen of the elite athlete that gives us a word of hope. Are you ready? Every elite athlete, everyone who practices at that level is supposed to take a rest day. Did you know? A recovery day? I have read more Runners Today articles about recovery days in the last four days than in all of my life previous. This is what a recovery day is. Now, they don't run in order to receive the reward of a rest. The rest day is a part of the training. And this is what happens on a rest day. Those days of rest, that recovery day, allows your muscles to adjust to the previous week of building up. It allows your body an opportunity to heal and to be renewed. That rest day consolidates the work, the effort of the previous week, and makes the athlete stronger, helping to protect them from overuse injuries and prepare them for the days ahead. It's super important, that day of rest. If you train at that level and you're not taking a recovery day, there were articles and sections of articles all about the bad things that could happen to you. It seemed awful. And why would you need to be reminded to rest, right? You just want to do it and nap, right? If you skip your recovery day, exhaustion, injury, and lack of joy, that's what showed up again and again in the reading I did. Good news, church. We do not need to become elite marathon runners in order to know the joy of a recovery day. We're the same thing as we live this life together, as we run in such a way as to gain the prize, the joy of sharing Christ with those around us. But we call it Sabbath a day of rest. It's a holy thing set apart by God. And it's not a, a reward for being good in the previous week. It is a part of the normal, natural rhythm of how we have been built as children of God. This Sabbath day, this holy time, this is an opportunity to consolidate the events of the past week, to find comfort for frustration and healing where stress and hurt have marked us. Our Sabbath provides us an opportunity to pause, to sit, and to lift our eyes, to find time to worship where we're encouraged by the community of faith where we hear again of God's love and grace for us. This time of rest, this moment of worship is set apart. And it's not a time that we get, we're not invited to get all gussied up for it. I, I mean, you're welcome to wear whatever you like. You all look wonderful. But I mean like gussied up on the inside, right? So imagine with me like the duffel bag, right? Those big runner's bags that you have. 
When you prepare to come to your day of rest, when you prepare for worship, right, you're not supposed to take all the things in your life and put them in the bag and hide the bag. That's not the invitation. The invitation is to find the bag, put all of the stuff in it, and bring the bag, all of the stuff, the great stuff, are you like, I'm a little type A, so all of the great stuff would go over here in this nice clean compartment where great stuff goes, right? And then the other stuff, the things that are not so pretty, those things will get wrapped in plastic bags, probably individually, and put over here in a separate section so as not to disturb the nice things, right? However you would pack a bag, it all goes in the bag all of the past week. The great stuff, the hard stuff, all of the today stuff. For some of us, if we're worshiping on the weekend, it is our runaround day, right? The grocery list. Not that you should, in the middle of a sermon, make a grocery list. You should not do that. But I know that feeling. <laughs> I've read this part of the Bible before. I wonder if I need eggs. All of the stuff. All the runaround stuff, the plans for today, everything that's going on in your heart and in your mind, it all goes in the bag. And the week ahead, the worries and plans, the joys, the dreams, all of it in the bag, and the bag comes with you. And now if it's my bag, I don't know about you, but it's that picture of the person with the too much stuff running through the airport. You've seen that person, right? They've got a bag, and it's probably way too big to fit and carry on. They've got their backpack on. They've got a purse. They've probably got a lunchbox hanging off of them, and they are running through the airport. Have you seen them arrive at their destination? What's the first thing, right? When you get to the gate you're supposed to be at and you don't have to jump onto the plane right away, what do you do, right? You just drop. You just drop all the stuff. And you breathe that sigh of relief that you are not going to miss your flight. That's the moment. That's the invitation. All of the stuff, the overfull bag, the backpack, the lunch, all the extra things, your cell phone that you keep checking your back pocket for, all of it, all of it is to come with you here. And when you get here, the invitation in God's presence is that moment of just putting it down. Dropping the gear, sitting in the presence of God, secure that you are right where you're supposed to be. And the future is taken care of for the moment, and the present and the past can be with you, but you can just sit in God's presence. That's the invitation. Because in the midst of God's presence, in this moment between the big things, God is doing some interesting things in our hearts and lives. This friend, Christy, uh, she recently ran the Boston Marathon. Uh, can we put up the, the path of the Boston Marathon? That is the Boston Marathon. Um, it starts down there in the bottom left. And has anybody done this before? Is it uphill? Does it just look like it's uphill? <laughs> Is it just me who's worried about it being uphill? So they start over on the bottom left. Each of the dots 
those little arrows, is a mile. They run all of those miles toward Boston, which is on the right. That is the path of the Boston Marathon. Can you imagine? Sorry, I get a little, it's very distracting, but it's very important, right? Because this moment in our week, this is the pre-race moment. I, I was always struck by the fact that for runners, they, um, they train on the same roads every day, right? They run the same paths through the same roads. My husband was a distance runner in college. They just ran around the school every day. But then they went to these different places. How do you know what the terrain is going to be like? Will there be rocks? Am I climbing up stuff? There... I, I always thought that a race was you go out and then you come back, right? Can you imagine the disaster I would create if I laid down the path for a race, right? Because what happens after the first person starts running this way? That would be a disaster, right? You're running upstream both ways. It... So how do you know what to expect? In this little moment, those moments right before the race, the coach explains what the course will be like. You might even prepare for it weeks in advance. There are hills on the course, then you're running hills for three weeks. Whatever is out ahead of you, you might even listen to other people who've run it before. Much like, you know, the Corinthians have run this race before, which is why we are listening back to them. And then we're gathering this information from God as we prepare for what he has next. And I always found it interesting. Coach Fenonger, as he would prepare the college team to run a race, he would, I, you know, be along the sidelines cheering on my friends. I would listen to him. He would give, like, big picture stuff. Here's what the course is like. Remember, this is where you're headed. Here are the things to watch for. And then, as they all moved away, you know what he would do? He would talk to each one of them, give them like individual information, things that, that he knew about them that they needed for the, for the run ahead. He would coach each of them, even as he coached all of them. And it is the same for us in this moment between races where we receive the teaching that God has for all of us. But we also have those moments where God speaks to each one of us and prepares us to run the longer race. I imagine that when you are running a marathon, you are like in mile 10, right? You might know, theoretically, that out ahead of you somewhere is Boston, right? If you believe it in your head and trust it with your heart, then you will be running in the right direction. You might know it in theory, right? What do you think it looks like in that moment at mile 10 or 12 on the ground? You know that ahead of you somewhere is the finish line, but right now, what do you see? Yeah, other really tired runners, right? 
right? And at mile 14, again, you know that you are headed in the right direction, but when you look around, you see other tired runners. I think, church, this is where we are right now. I thought the Boston Marathon uh, graphic was perfect because if you've noticed, it, it is not a circle for previous stated reasons, right? But also, it's a good example because God's, God's, not, God's not working on a round trip here. We're starting in one place. And God is leading us to another. And in the middle, as we look around and we know, we trust in our heads and we believe in our hearts that God is the one leading us forward. Sometimes when we look around today, we just see a bunch of other tired runners. That's okay. Because we are all running together in the same direction. As we struggle to figure out what tomorrow will look like, what we want it to be like, what, what is waiting for us, we do that in the light of a God who has it all mapped out. And as we sit in this moment, with all of our stuff gathered around, everything that we are, the past, our today, and our trust for the future, we know that God has prepared that next mile marker. We know that that next part of the path is covered. And we know that these moments are not wasted or forgotten. The treasures from our past, the foundations that we stand on, as we look ahead to what comes next, our eyes are to be focused on God's promise for the future. And we take the best of the past along with us. We take the lessons we've learned and we apply them anew. But we run ahead, or maybe we are joggers. Maybe you would prefer to walk. That's okay. You can walk with us. Maybe you get to get carried, or if you're me, sometimes dragged. But we are in this together, and we wait expectantly as God reveals to us that next thing. This moment in the week, this is our recovery day. This is where we find rest. This is where we come to hear the promise again. This is where we sit in the presence of God and taste community and are touched by forgiveness. This is our moment, our glimpse of eternity our rest and preparation for all that God has next. For that we say thanks be to God.
Let us pray. Lord, some of us have had quite a week. And some of us struggle with the fact that there are people that we miss and we don't know how to fix that right now. All of the stuff, the things that we think in our our head, those things on our heart, Lord, we entrust those this day into your care. All the stuff that you want us not to carry back out. Lord, I ask that you open our hands. That you prepare us to release the things that are not of you. To set aside the things that are not helping us. And that in the midst of this moment of worship, that you would speak tenderly to us. Open our ears that we might hear you say, you are my beloved child. You are perfect in my sight. I walked with you through the past. I stand with you now and I call you forth into my future. Unstop our ears, Father God, that we might hear you speak to us as we prepare for a new week following after you. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.